Stalk Talks podcast brings you intelligent discussion of topical issues inspired by the international city of peace and justice. I think we all know what we need to do. Problems, they come like a costume. They fit you. Remove our inner critic and open our inner, you know, curiosity. You know, nothing speaks louder than money. Walk in, slam your fist on the table, so... (laughs) Yeah. Together, <laughs> something has to change. Welcome back to another episode of Stock Talks. I'm Tom, and I'm Zoe. And bicycles are part of life here in the Netherlands, and we Dutch are known worldwide for our use of bicycles as a major form of transport. And this week on Stock Talks, we investigate what is stopping more people from using the bicycle as their main form of transport. Indeed, Tom, this is a subject close to our hearts. Previously, Stalk Talks has spoken with a variety of dedicated bike lovers, including The Hague's very own bike mayor or Fietsburgermeister in Dutch, Marcel Kleissen, and Mikkel de la Grange, who is working with a team from Lola Bikes and Coffee to organize a professional cycling race through the Serengeti National Park in Kenya. Yeah, bikes truly are everywhere, Zoe, but perhaps they are most needed in urban areas. Um, And a group of researchers in Oxford University recently released a study in which they found that emissions from cycling in five cities uh, can be more than 30 times lower for each trip than driving a car. And it can be 10 times lower than driving an electric car. Well, with all of this in mind, Tom, we are thrilled to have Martin Trutschka, co-founder of the Give a Bike Foundation with us on Stalk Talks today. And we want to chat a little bit about bike culture and also what he and his colleagues are doing to spread the bike love. Welcome, Martin. Hi, nice to be here. It's a, it's a pleasure to have you, Martin. And speaking on the topic of bike love, um, where did your love affair with, with biking originally begin? So yeah, that's this uh, is my, my favorite story to tell. There were in my life several uh, points which I like I remember as bringing me closer to bike. One of them was that my uncle was fixing my own bike, and I realized how easy it is and uh, how it's nice to work with this machine. And from him, I picked up a few things how to fix bikes. And since then, I love to work on my own bike. Uh, later, I also purchased a very old bike, which was from uh, before the Second World War. And this machine just fascinating me because it, it's working very well and, and it's still so long. But I think the most important moment is that uh, when I was a kid, I was cycling on this uh, traffic playground and it was a lot of fun and I felt very, very cool and safe. And it's eight years ago, I, I came to Holland and this basically became the traffic playground for, for adults. So I was just enjoying this uh, infrastructure so much that uh, very often I just like went somewhere to unknown place and, and just uh, get lost and cycle around. So this infrastructure made a huge difference for me, plus like uh, this combination with the uh, last for old bikes and being able to fix them uh, probably uh, made like a bike lover I am today. Yeah, and, and as a, a bike lover, you've actually acted upon that love and, and pursued bikes in a in a different way so you founded the initiatives the, the foundation i should say of give a bike in the netherlands so so what is it that you do specifically yeah yeah so when i arrived to the netherlands i saw everywhere all those abandoned bikes on the street and for me i i see a treasure like uh, something i really would like to like, put my hands on and, and start to uh, collect them and, and and save it from being rotten so 
yeah, the, the idea was very simple, just like collect those abandoned bikes uh, and fix them and give them second life. And uh, because my background is in uh, forest uh, and nature conservation, I thought that uh, the bikes as a sustainable uh, way of transport can make a big difference in uh, reducing the CO2 and fossil fuel or like a similar resources. So I decided to start uh, working with uh, collecting bikes and fixing them and giving them to social projects worldwide. Yeah, so uh, the mission of the Go Bike Foundation is that indeed we collect uh, those bikes from individuals, from organizations, from municipalities. Then with a team of our volunteers, we pick them up. Then we partner with another NGO and we give it to them. And then they are in the charge of the final distribution to the people uh, who benefit the most. So it's mostly disadvantaged people like... Uh, kids from poor areas or women uh, who have like, a cultural uh, distance to uh, cycling and so on. Okay, yeah, so you've, you've given bikes, well, Give a Bike has given bikes all around the world, which is fantastic. Uh, we'll talk a bit more about that later. But just to come back, Martin, to your point about emissions uh, and this whole notion of bicycles being so environmentally friendly with the pandemic, there's been a lot less use of cars and other forms of not so environmentally friendly transport. In this recent study, they found nearly half of the fall in daily carbon emissions during the lockdown in 2020 came from reductions in transport uh, emissions. I think we were talking about this earlier. Do you think that Corona has given an added impetus or reinvigorated the the interest in bikes as a form of transport here in the Netherlands and, and even elsewhere? Yeah, I definitely see that. And I, I see this like that the people are a bit more reluctant to use public transport. And also I, I read in the newspapers about the boom of e-bikes. And there is like a obvious a link uh, between the corona time and boom of a bike sale. But what I also see uh, is much more a discussion about the bike infrastructure and improvement of, of it. Uh, I know that uh, in Sierra Leone, there was the outbreak of Ebola. That was the first time when uh, people in Sierra Leone started to use the bikes a little bit more, exactly because uh, they were afraid to use the public transport. So they were a little bit more aware of this uh, possibility to use the bikes to uh, kind of avoid potential like uh, infection. Wow. So so really, it seems like pandemics or infectious diseases have a well, a positive effect in terms of moving people onto the bicycle that perhaps wouldn't have got there otherwise. Yeah. Look, looking on the bright side. I think you bring up a really interesting point, and that's also a question what we're asking today is, is what is stopping more people from using bicycles as their main form of transport? And we are jumping back and forth between the Netherlands, where there's such an active bike culture, and other countries, like you said, where you're trying to create that bike culture. And bringing it back to, to first, maybe start here in the Netherlands, give a bike, you've given bikes, as the name suggests, but you've also completed other projects to encourage people to ride bikes. So for example, here in the Netherlands, you've done cycling lessons and, and cycling lessons for people here in Utrecht. So could you tell us a bit more as to, to why this is so, so important? Yeah, I would uh, clarify here that uh, this project uh, actually was uh, done mostly with uh, another two organizations we partner with. Uh, it was uh, a bike slip and, uh, and uh, feeds masters. And we were uh, mostly uh, providing the bikes for, for the lesson. But uh, to get the point, yeah, even in the Netherlands, our people who don't have a bike and who don't know how to cycle, and there are uh, many different 
cultural barriers for the people as well as the financial barrier. So usually combined that the people don't have money to get a bike and then it's a little bit difficult for them when they are a little bit older to start learning how to uh, cycle. But they just like, uh, they, they see around them if they want to get from point A to point B, it's very useful to know how to cycle. And their like a motivation is just stronger than uh, their cultural uh, barrier. And, and they know that there are initiatives like speedsmasters who can help them to learn how to cycle and they just go for it, which is great. We speak a little bit about Utrecht, where this project took place. And we know that Utrecht is a very forward-thinking city in terms of bicycles. Even within the Netherlands, it's been a, a front-runner in terms of adapting its infrastructure to suit bicycles and people rather than cars. Now, where we based here in The Hague, The Hague is the other end of that spectrum. The Hague has the most number of cars in the Netherlands, And indeed, when we spoke with the bike mayor, he said that was one of his major goals was to try to reduce the cars here and get more people onto bicycles. What are your thoughts on these sorts of challenges, even within the Netherlands? How can we make this transition from cars to bicycles? This, you know, it is not my expertise part of the job, but I think it is, those changes are very much depending on the on the local government, on like the government uh, leaders and their will to move uh, forward. I can imagine that it has something to do also with this like a social demographic situation in the area, perhaps in Den Haag, uh, the people just like use the car a little bit more than other places because age or uh, or job or uh, this kind of thing. So I think there has to be just like a little bit pressure maybe on the government to, to do the steps as the Utrecht did. Indeed, you're right. There's probably a significant part or role that the government needs to play in this. And I, I think, so we've spoken a little bit about the projects here in the Netherlands, but we would like to look a bit further afield. So the, the, the pedal enthusiasts like yourself, you are also organizing uh, projects in Kenya, Sudan and Sierra Leone. So could you tell us a bit more about these projects in, in other countries that may not have that traditional biking culture yet? Yeah, I would maybe uh, tell you more about this Sierra Leone project because that's like we, we just uh, completed and uh, into which I have the most uh, insight. The biggest problem in those places is that people don't have a way to get a bike. It's usually uh, expensive for them and, and very often not even available. We are uh, focusing on... Uh, on like a poor regions and uh, our uh, last project in Salona was uh, located in uh, in district uh, Kenema which is one of the farthest from the from the capital where uh, the kids have uh, a long distance to school and and it is also one of the places where the education is uh, not uh, very uh, common so uh, the bikes we sent are uh, uh, supposed to uh, help kids to get to the school which are far away so i think that the first problem is that they just need to get a bike. And I think the infrastructure, the roads are already there. They're, we try to like overcome this first step. One thing that you pointed out that I, I, I didn't think of immediately, but it's a really good point, is that, uh, it, of course, the bike, like it, it plays a role in our culture, but you mentioned it may give some people access to education that may not have had that before. Are there other benefits or things that we may, well, may not recognize at first, but that a bike can be a great help uh, help with or a great help for? Yeah. So. The, the bikes we, we send to uh, multiple places in Africa are, for example, uh, helping like a nurses to, uh, to get to their patients in, in less time. 
so uh, different type of benefit for, for the society that you're bringing closer to getting all the services as, as education and jobs, trade. And yeah, it is also uh, fun and it's uh, healthy, but uh, for, for these people where we are sending it, uh, it's like a secondary benefit. Yeah, it's a necessity. I mean, coming from Africa, I know that the distances are large and uh, that often there is not a very advanced public transport systems in place. So I, I guess this is where yeah, a bicycle can be really helpful. There's also different kinds of terrain. And as you said, not all cities are necessarily not prepared for bike travel. Mm-hmm. Now, what, have you had any feedback about that? So they get the bike from your foundation, which is great. And then how does that work in terms of where they can actually use these bicycles? Yeah, so we are always trying to work with someone who has experience from from the local uh, situation. And in terms of Sierra Leone, we work together with our uh, friend who uh, is actually from there and uh, who gave us the advice if what is suitable or not. But we had also another uh, project where uh, we got like a let's say strict uh, requirements uh, how the bikes uh, should look like and uh, uh, what the equipment should be. So uh, we tried to work with that as well, but. We have like a limited also uh, opportunity to like uh, make only let's say mountain bike, only uh, racing bike. So uh, doing our best, but it is not something what we would like prioritize. Let's say. Yeah, yeah. So, so that was going to be my question as well. So what might these differences look like on a, a, a concrete level? What might people request that that makes a difference depending on what type of bike and what type of material you use? So, so uh, once we got the request that the, the bikes should have a chain guard or the, the getting cast because uh, the roads are very dusty and if the dust would get in the chain that they would never get it out. That was like a one specific requirement which for me was quite surprising because uh, when I grew up I was also cycling on dusty roads and I have my BMX with uh, no chain guard. But yeah, we, we just tried to fulfill the requirement, do our best. Um, just, just before we move on, Martin, to, to our next question, you just told us about Sierra Leone, but I believe you're currently now involved with projects in Palestine and Togo. Could you tell us a bit more about those? What are you providing and who are you providing for there? Okay. As you said, we are now uh, working on a uh, project uh, in Togo. The Togo, uh, the goal is to send a container uh, full of bikes. It is for uh, Terre de Jus. It is an organization who is uh, taking care of uh, young people and the idea is the same that uh, they will receive the bikes uh, and will be able to get to their school uh, much easier and faster and the other uh, project is uh, we work with a Palestinian Young Corp that is an organization which for example established the first woman cycling in uh, in Palestine in Gaza so we, we are only uh, helping uh, to organize this so uh, the attention on our social media and uh, we will uh, help to actually load the container with the bikes. The bikes will be donated by uh, Amsterdam uh, municipality. As uh, the name uh, says, uh, the bikes are, again, like going uh, mostly for, for young people and partly for this uh, woman racing team. And it is uh, to also increase this awareness about the bikes and uh, their uh, like a possibility of sustainable transport. How long does a project normally take? Like a project like this, the one to Palestine, for example, does it vary? How long does it take to, to get it all together and get them the bikes? Yeah, it is very much depending how it is financed. So uh, this project in Palestine uh, actually is uh, financed by a, a crowdfunding uh, campaign. 
as soon as the money are uh, collected, then uh, it will probably be uh, much faster. So this one is taking now a few months, and I think now it's over 50% is uh, collected, but uh, there is still a little bit more to go. Yeah, and the question is, what is stopping more people from using bikes as their main form of transport? You said one of the first things, of course, is having bicycles. And we've spoken about the, the initiatives and many things that you do. But what are the other biggest challenges to perhaps create the culture around these bikes? Like, wh- What hurdles do we need to face to, to effectively integrate bikes in, in other cultures and help them become the main form of transport or a good alternative form of transport? Of course, like one thing is to, to get a bike. Other thing is, uh, for example, be able to fix it yourself. It is also uh, a part of the, the idea that we don't send all the bikes, but we also send the tools and the parts so uh, people can uh, fix it themselves. Of course, it is very important to have some kind of a chain of, uh, of places which can uh, fix the bike. For example, the next thing, which is just like an infrastructure of the, of the bike lane, which uh, the best thing to do if you have a lot of bikes, because if not, then the bikes became like a endangered things because if you mix the cars and bikes to one line that yeah it's not uh, not good yeah the bike infrastructure is is uh, crucial for this well i'm just theorizing here martin but your foundation obviously provides the bicycle side of course the infrastructure is more linked to governments but you're doing what you can from your side and also you mentioned the repairs, which is fascinating as well, because it's true, it's all good and well having a bicycle, but you need to know how to repair it, especially if you live in a, in a far place, far from shops or, or any such, such things. But do you think perhaps if more and more people have bicycles, there may be then a pressure on, say, governments to provide or to, to create spaces for those bicycles? I, I believe that that's how it is. There might be some governments which are a little bit uh, blind, but yeah, they should they should like collect the data about mobility and uh, and react to uh, situation. Like I, I love the the aspect of bikes that we've spoken like you spoke about the government, you spoke about the practical, but I'm also very curious towards integrating it into the culture because when I think back for myself and that's where this question is coming from is I remember getting bicycle lessons at school and at some point having to do an exam like a bicycle exam, but it was all integrated into the curriculum. Do you think that is a sustainable or a good way to eventually really bring it into into a culture? That's the interesting thing. I actually, I haven't thought about it because I'm originally from Czech Republic where also like everybody knows how to cycle and never had actually any lessons uh, besides uh, that my mother took me to the traffic playground. But um, I think uh, that will be a very interesting thing. But like if, if this thing would like, let's say, uh, stuck into this like educational system, that would be uh, fantastic. And it would already show that the, the bike it is already by culture if you have a bike lesson in school. Yeah, it's really embedding it into the culture. Martin, on the website, it says that bicycles give you independence and freedom, which I thought was an interesting comment. And you've mentioned that you recently heard a little bit about the history of the suffragette movement in the United States and how it's linked partly to a woman on a bicycle. Could you just tell us a bit more about that? Because it's fascinating. Yeah, you know, I'm... I'm like a big fan of, of history and yeah, all about and uh, the bike production. So I was like uh, trying to uh, dig uh, a little bit deeper about the beginning beginning of the, the bike production. And I, I found information about how uh, there was a women spotted on the outskirts of New York in uh, like a, a late 19th century. There was actually an article about it in the newspapers and it was uh, a lot of like a negative uh, thoughts and a lot of prejudgment that uh, women should never... Uh, Cycle because it's not good for their bodies. 
there were some links to prostitution. And this woman was also uh, cycling with a, with a trouser. This thing uh, basically triggered the equality between uh, a man and a woman. And it was like a beginning of a process which leads to uh, women get uh, their uh, voting rights. And I, I believe that uh, this blueprint other places where uh, also women are very much not taken into consideration as an equal being. So uh, the, the bikes can just support the freedom of, of people and create the equality. And I think that's, uh, that's one of our most important missions to uh, achieve this. One of the, the last questions that we would like to ask you, Martin, is, of course, if there are fellow uh, well bike enthusiasts or pedal enthusiasts or uh, other people perhaps listening on bikes as we speak, they would like to, to support this initiative of yours. Uh, how can they do that? Yeah, as you can imagine that let's, uh, for us, uh, like the, the whole concept stand and fall on uh, people who donate the bike. You can contact us and donate the bike. Of course, uh, we are uh, always as well in need of some financial support to like, pay our projects and serve art. And uh, the third way how you can support is uh, to uh, become a volunteer and we uh, can uh, train uh, uh, people to uh, be able to fix the bike. And we have also a uh, possibility to uh, help the foundation in many other ways. Okay, great. So you could do it financially or you can give your time and expertise, or as you said, you're even offering training to people who would like to learn how to fix bikes, which is great because to be honest, I, I myself have thought a few times, oh, I would like to know a little bit more about keeping my bicycle uh, running well. So so that sounds like a, a win-win for people who are interested. For everybody else who wants to know more or where they can actually find that information, then you can find that on the website of Martin at uh, www.giveabike.nl. Right. So thank you so much for joining us today on Stalk Talks, Martin. Yeah, it was my pleasure. Yes, and it's inspirational indeed. For our listeners, please stay tuned for another episode at the same time next week. And of course, you know that you can follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and our podcast is on Anchor. So if you want more information about any of our programs, including this one, take a look there. You can also find us on YouTube now for those of you who like a picture. Thank you so much for tuning in to another episode and uh, we hope to see you back soon.